the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA09. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Welcome to Doom to Fail, the podcast where we explore two red flaggy relationships, one historic, one true crime, and point out all the little markers that could have prevented something usually negative from happening. I'm Farz. I'm joined here with my co-host, Taylor. Hi, Taylor. Hello. So, Taylor, what, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and why you like to cover historical red flaggy relationships and events? Yeah. Yeah, I'm Taylor Pinheiro, and I try to do a little bit more historical, trying to go back time when I can, try to go all over the world. A lot of it is because I love history and there's so many amazing stories that we're just not taught. I definitely feel like I was totally, I don't know, what's the word, like stilted by the American education system because I had a terrible history teachers and they made it really boring. And that's super unfair because there's so many fun things that happened. So I like to do relationships when I can find them, but also like big famous disasters like I did the Hindenburg and, and things like that. Is stilted the combination of jilted and stunted? I think so. Cause it like made it seem boring. And also I feel like I could have used it more in my life because people don't change or the same people we've always been, you know? So even people don't change things from 2000 years ago, they happen today every freaking day. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. And I am a fanatic of true crime, mostly because I like to, think about how these people can do the things that they can do going into like the deep recesses of whatever thought patterns are created and how they're created and why things happen the way they do is always really interesting for me so that's kind of where my passion in the in this on the side of things lies the reason we decided to do red flag relationships is just mostly because taylor would, would examine my relationships and say as far as you see the red flags to me i'm like yeah i see them it's still fun i'm still gonna do it it's like this should be a podcast because you're <laughs> probably not the only one. <laughs> so that's how I'm like, I'm like, far as you tend to like a little bit of crazy and you're like, no, I don't. And I'm like, mm, I think that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor, Taylor nailed it for sure. So how's your week start week been or week weekend been Taylor? Good. We are going to a, like, I don't know what's lower than there's professional baseball, minor league baseball, and like one notch below. I think that's the kind of baseball game we're going to after this. So we're going to Palm Springs to see the Palm Springs. I don't know they're called, but it, playing their baseball stadium. But the kids get to go out on the field and they get to have their like baseball signed by the players and stuff. So it'll be quite that's cute. Fun. That's really really fun. I love I love those games, and because they're so cheap, they're really inexpensive. They're really yeah, like five dollars. Yeah. yeah, you feel like it's a community all out there doing their thing. That's like I had um I had floor seats one time at Madison Square Garden at a New York Liberty game, and like yes it was the WNBA, but also I had floor seats at Madison Square Garden. It was dope. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm all for it. I'm very accessible. It. Yeah. I woke up this morning and I read a Facebook post that completely ruined me. It was for this dog rescue called Austin Animal Center. That said, uh -huh. five of these gorgeous dogs, they're like two to five years old, we're going to be put down in the next week if someone is a set up and foster them. And because my life's not busy enough, I went and filled out the application. I reached out to them directly and asked if I can foster. Apparently, I got to ask like really, really like just in time when somebody else had already asked and they were pairing the dogs, one of the dogs with that family. So all the dogs were off the kill list for next week, which is fantastic. And in the next week or two, I'm probably going to be a foster dad 
Aw, that's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah, very cool. Excited. So usually the format of the show is that Taylor or I go first. We usually interchange one or the other. Who goes first this week, Taylor? I think that I do. Sweet. Then in that case, I'm going to tell you what my drink is, and then we'll segue to the historic story. So my story, or my story and my drink are from my old stomping grounds, Miami, Florida. So I'm going with a cafe con leche, which is just Spanish for coffee and milk. It is not good. It is, what? it is, it is like just piles of sugar with like a couple of drips of coffee in it. People love this stuff in Miami. I think they also call it Cuban coffee, but it, mm. it never was my thing. But again, Miami's known for stimulants, so that's a good one to have. So that's what I'm going to go with. Cool. Well, I can't wait. I have a drink that I've never heard of, but I want to share with you. It's actually a soda called Almdudler, A-L-M-D-U-D-L-E-R, which is Austria's national drink. So Austria, the country, is where we are going to be going today. And that's the, it's only, the only thing more popular than Almdudler is Coca-Cola. So Sweet. Austrians fucking love it. Cool. I'm going to talk about the Meyerling incident. Have you heard of that? He repeated the Meyerling. Meyerling incident. Never heard of it. It is the murder suicide of Rudolf, the crown prince of Austria, and his 17-year-old mistress, Mary Vestera. Cool. Yeah, never heard of it. Cool. So I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on this, and I read a book called Twilight of an Empire. So I'll put my sources in, in the notes as well. But there's two things that I want to start with before we get started to start like thinking about like where we're going with this. One of them is there's so much like there's so much sex in politics and sometimes we don't care. Like with the Kennedys, like we don't give a shit. We're like, whatever, you know, with the Clintons, we were like, we kind of care, but like, nah, nothing like super weird happened. But sometimes it changes the course of history. So in do you remember in 2004 there was a US Senate uh, a Republican running for US Senate in Illinois named Jake Jack Ryan not Jake Ryan from that sounds, movie, but... that sounds really familiar So Jack Ryan was running in 24 in 2004 against a Democrat and he was going into a seat that a Republican had retired from he was he had just gotten a divorce from actress Jerry Ryan. Um, she's in Star Trek. So like you might, if you looked her up, you'd recognize her. She's pretty. Okay, she's... The, story, the story's starting to resonate more. Keep going. So in their divorce filing, there were custody documents that were hidden from the public, but they became public. And in those custody doc documents, Jerry had said that Jack had tried to take her to sex clubs in yes. different parts of the U.S. Yes. and in Europe. And she didn't yeah. want to go. She didn't want to like perform publicly in these in these sex clubs. And so that was ultimately led to their divorce. And that was in their custody papers because she was using that to like gain more custody of the kids. So he was probably going to lose his campaign anyway. Like Jack probably wasn't going to win, but he left the campaign and another Republican entered. So the Democrat won in a landslide 70-30. And that Democrat was Barack Obama. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Yeah. So he definitely, with his little sexual deviance, he definitely boosted Obama's campaign. And that was in 2004 when he became a senator in Illinois. And four years later, you know, he's president. So, well, what, it, what was the big, the huge boost was obviously getting to be a U.S. senator was a huge deal. But he also gave the keynote at the DNC's yeah. convention. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and that like launched him into like the national stratosphere. So that's great. That's a really good. Way to tie that together. That one 
asking his wife to go to a sex club results in Obama being president. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So do you remember when Gmail was hard to get? You had to get invited. So I would get invited and I could invite five people and they could invite five people. There was a dude and his name was something very, that was already taken, like John Smith. So he was trying to get like John.Smith at Gmail and he couldn't get it. So he was watching the DNC speeches while he was trying to figure this out. And he saw Barack Obama. It was like, oh, I've never heard of this guy. Let me grab Barack.Obama at gmail.com. And he grabbed it and he gets like 100 million emails a day. <laughs> so funny. Anyway, there's that. There's sex and politics always been a thing. And this matters because similarly, when Rudolph, our main, main person in this story, he was heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And when he died, his cousin became heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and his cousin was Franz Ferdinand. So that's the life-changing person who became heir to the throne, because as you know, Franz Ferdinand gets assassinated World War I. Yeah, whenever you mention somebody getting killed who's Australian royalty, I was like, okay, this is going to end in a lot of death for a lot of people. Absolutely. So the other thing that we should start talking about is incest, which I know we've talked about a bunch. In these royal families, there's just so much of it. And I, I mean, obviously, I have no idea what they could possibly be thinking. But in my mind, and what I know about genetics, which is almost nothing but enough to know that like, things aren't going to go great if you continue to, you know, intermarry in between families. Like, how is that better than having like smart people from other families come in? You know what I mean? Like that just, that concept doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. So in the first time in history where I, you will hear me say this, I think I'm going to defend incest in this okay. case. Please do. Cause I don't get it. Because I think that if you're like in this royal position where literally everybody is beneath you, like you engaging with them is like a travesty. Mm -hmm. All you have that are your peer group is like your relatives. Like what else do you have? But yeah yes but like it's not going well it doesn't go well i'm not saying so, it's good i'm not saying it's good it's, a, it's a, like i can understand it is what i'm saying yeah but i mean so rudolph the the crown prince of austria he's a habsburg so i do want to talk about the habsburgs i think later i'll go further further back but essentially the habsburg started in 1273 rudolph the first of habsburg is elected king of germany losses have happened they also still exist. They're still Habsburgs, but they're less inbred now. But like some of the things like Franz Ferdinand himself said, quote, with us, man and wife are always related to each other 20 times over. The results are that half the children are idiots or epileptics. Yeah, the it's clues not, were there. It's not great. Yeah. Like you can, if you look, you can see it. Rudolph's parents were first cousins. His grandmothers were sisters. And his, so his wife, him and his wife ended up having the same grandfather. It's very confusing. It's like, you can't even draw a family tree like this. Right. Because it's so confusing. Some of the history, there's there was Charles II of Spain. He was Charles the Bewitched or Charles the Mad. He was the last Habsburg ruler of Spain, born in 1661. But he has so many disabilities. He had severe physical deformities. They have that prominent jaw, that like big Habsburg underbite, you know? It's, and his tongue was so swollen, he could like barely eat or talk. Yeah. Which is so gross and like so terrible. Put him out of his misery. He was infertile, had a range of health problems. The jaw, the Habsburg jaw and lip, is like a distinct facial feature. Uh, it's you can see it in portraits throughout history. It also there's a lot of times like nature does nature intervenes and puts infertility in the in the lines because they're like yeah nature's like you can't do this anymore yeah guys so a lot of people can't have children which I guess is, is for the greater good. And also it reduces the genetic diversity. So 
it means they have more susceptibility to inherited diseases and it weakens their health. Because if you have like the same genes on top of each other, top of each other, you're not bringing in anything else that can like protect you from other things. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. I'm a, doc I'm a doctor. So I, I get that like they don't understand genetics and I get that like what you're saying, how like you think everybody else is beneath you, but like, come on. I don't understand how this can be better. So Ferdinand I is another one around this time. He could barely speak. Franz Ferdinand's father, Carl Ludwig, was a religious fanatic who terrorized his families. And then also for, for Rudolf himself, his mother's line was from Bavaria, but they were also not great. They were also pretty inbred. She had a cousin who believed she had swallowed a piano made of glass. And like, wouldn't stop talking about it. Another dude believed he was a hero in a Wagner opera and he would like have picnics outside in the snow and talk to people who weren't there and like just like really weird yeah. eccentric things. And they're rich. So, like, if you're like gonna go crazy, go crazy in a castle. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a lot of mental illness, obviously, a lot of mm -hmm. inbreeding. Okay. Yeah. And also there's a lot of depression. So like depression and other and other things are happening too. And so this is like compounding into this. The, these, these people. So right. now we're in the late 1800s in Vienna in Austria. This story is not a love story. Like it's a tragedy, but there's this isn't a love story. This isn't like star-crossed lovers or anything. And we'll get into that, but I just want to make that clear. There's a bunch of movies that were made in like the 60s and 50s and 60s. There's one with Audrey Hepburn and Mel Ferrer, and I mean, they look so good together. I don't know if you've ever seen, can you picture them? Have you ever seen them in War and Peace? No, what's their names? Audrey Hepburn and Mel Ferrer. And oh, they yeah. Audrey in... Hepburn, Audrey Hepburn, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And they were married in real life, and in, I don't know, in War and Peace, for anyone who knows, like, Bolkonski is the fucking worst, and he's the person that Mel Ferrer plays. Um, they just look so beautiful together. I'm Team Pierre, she ends up with Jane Fonda's dad, what's his name? But anyway, they still look great together. And then there's another one where Omar Sharif plays Rudolph, do you know who he is? Yeah. You know how I said earlier in this podcast that I don't believe eyes are the window to your soul? Is Omar Sharif the one that gets passed for that? He is. Because Omar Sharif's eyes are always, like, wet with, like, romantic pain and desire. Like, imagine him in, like, the last scene of Dr. Zhivago, and you, like, his eyes are, like, always just, like, really wet. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Which is, like, is. part of the reason why I hate eyes. But I also feel like if I'm going to see anyone's soul with their eyes, it's Omar Sharif's. Did he so, die recently? Yes. Yeah, it's pretty recent, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. When he died, I read a tweet that it, uh, someone was a server at a restaurant and they were serving him and they were like, I'm so sorry to tell you that, to like bother you, but Dr. Zhivago changed my life. And Omar Sharif took their hand and said, it changed mine too. Yeah. Oh, I love that guy. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, watch those movies if you want to cry for seven days. Where we are now, we're in Vienna. Vienna at this time is very romantic. It's a very romantic city. It's in Austria. They have tons of museums, tons of old houses. It's the house of the Habsburgs for generations, for centuries. Everybody is just like very, very, very romantic. Like they believe that they are. And part of that culture, there's a lot of suicide. It's like a big thing there. Like it happens all the time. So like some people are like, you shouldn't really go out in the morning until they've cut down the bodies that are hanging from the trees from last night. Because like, Every day someone dies by suicide. Servants will, you know, die by suicide if they, you know, break a plate. Children will, children die by suicide if they, like, fail a lesson. Like, everyone's very, being very, very dramatic. So it's a whole thing and, the, and the people are really thinking about it a lot. So that's kind of another thing that's happening in Vienna. Our main people that we're talking about, Rudolf Franz Karl Josef, was born on the 21st of August in 1858. His parents were Emperor Franz Josef 
Joseph I of Austria and Duchess Elizabeth of Bavaria, but they called his mom Sissy. His father, the Emperor Franz Josef, he was born in 1830. It's a weird time to be an emperor because this is like things are starting to modernize. You know, if you're a part of a dynasty from like the 1200s, you know, it's a totally different world. Um, there's some compromises that he has to deal with as different parts of the empire want to be free. This is, you know, we're like 50 years after like the U.S. and France have had like their revolutions. So he did make some compromises, but he was also a very, very, very stern father. He tried to make his son Rudolph tough by like waking him up by like shooting shooting in his bedroom. Like, wake up, boo, 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 you know, like, uh, and like have him run in the snow and like do things that he considered to be very manly. He was also like very conservative and his son grew up to be a little bit more like of a liberal, which always happens. Usually how it goes. Yeah. yeah. His mother, Sissy, was born on, oh, so one more thing, sorry. Emperor Franz Joseph didn't die until 1916. He died of sickness. So he died post-World War I. Wow. He died much later. His mom, Rudolf's mom, Sissy, she was born on December 24th, 1837 in Munich, Bavaria. She was a daughter of a duke and a princess. She had, she was very beautiful. And what also I think is interesting about these people in this story is it's that precipice between paintings and photographs because they have the traditional, like huge, beautiful portraits that are painted of them in like huge regal stuff and there's also photographs of them because it's like the beginning of when you could have photographs which is interesting and cool so are the portraits and the photos they align they do Mm -hmm. cool okay which is good to know i guess for all of history yeah yeah so sissy is uh very beautiful she has really long hair there's there's a a portrait of her holding her hair and like she's like holding it like a baby she's held so much hair it's like a very intimate portrait that the emperor loved and she did all this like stuff for her face and body and not that I don't do this because I will put like any face oil on my face I will I'll do it seven times a day like absolutely but she would do things like in the morning she'd take a cold bath at night she'd take an olive oil bath she would sleep with like rags soaked with apple cider vinegar around her waist to keep her waist slim and in photos of her her waist is like I mean obviously corseted but you could like put your hands around her and touch each other like that kind of a waist and she just like did all this stuff to remain youthful she had a daughter who died in infancy, so you know that happens a lot. She tried to write poetry, um, was passionate about the arts, but she was also very controlling of her son. She loved him a lot, but also like, wanted him to kind of straighten up and like become a good heir to the throne. I won't get to this, but Sissy, she is the empress of Austro-Hungary, and in 1898, she's walking in Geneva with a friend, and an Italian anarchist stabs her in the heart and kills her while she's walking down the street. I'm not going to say that's common, but that seems like a common thing to have happened back then. Didn't Rasputin get stabbed in the stomach just randomly by someone? Maybe, but he deserved it. Fair enough. So Rudolph, the son of, of Sissy and Franz Joseph, he's a playboy. He can do whatever he wants like you can when you're like a prince. And he has dozens of affairs that are very, very obvious. Like, it's very obvious that he's super sexually active. They say he might have had up to 30 illegitimate children, which is like too many and also doesn't make sense with bloodlines like he's having kids all, all over the place so where do they go you know it has to be like the right weird bloodline right which i think is dumb and like in do you watch wait did you watch house of dragon i can't remember if you did no i never got around to that one so like the, one of the sons obviously well a bunch of them are like do do this and um one of my friends was like it's very convenient that in the game of thrones world that you are guaranteed to have the hair color of your father because like they make it it's like it's hilariously it's hilarious they're like oh look all these like kids with white hair they must be so-and-so's you know like it's just really funny Taylor hold on wait speaking of series watching series Mm -hmm. have you seen any of the new Black Mirror 
I watched the first two. Okay. It gets good. It, it, I mean, they're, those are really good. And it keeps getting mm-hmm. better. The last one of the series, there's a whole section where this woman is watching that Ra Ra Rasputin. No, no way. Song. Yeah. It was like, playing, I was like oh my God. I sh- I sh- yeah. I should have. And, and, and one of the main characters, one of the lead singers in that song that came in. Anyways, whatever. I'm not going to ruin it, but it's fun. fun. It's very fun. Okay. I'll get there. I, can, I can't watch. I can watch like two a week before my like brain explodes. So I watched the first two. They, they get intense. They get yeah. really intense. But they were good. He has all these, all these kids. Whenever he breaks off an affair, he has someone deliver like a silver cigarette box to her like to signify that it's over, which I think is hilarious. And like, imagine being like, you have, you like are somewhere and like you pull your cigarette box out of your purse and like someone else is the same one and you just like look at each other and laugh because you know that you both had an affair with this guy. That would be nice. That, that, yeah. if you're, that's a good way to break up with someone. That's classy. It's a gift. A breakup gift. Um, he just like has a room of them, you know. So in 1881, Rudolph marries Stephanie of Belgium and they have a daughter, Elizabeth. So they have one child, but again, it's not a man. So they need to have a man to, to be able to have an heir, to have a boy. But Rudolph gets, I mean, riddled with STDs, <laughs> of course. You know, some sources say it's gonorrhea. Some say it's syphilis. He probably has both. Either one, he gives it back to his wife and it makes her unable to have any more children. So he, he they will not have an heir, which is like... I think an STD could make you sterile. I guess it can't. I mean, I'm sure. They yes, could have had super STDs back then, too. Yeah. I mean, it's just so awful. I remember, yeah. I mean, it must have just been so gross down there for everyone. You re- you remember what, Taylor? <laughs> no, I was going to say, I remember. This is stupid. I remember, I stopped because I stopped, it's a dumb story, but I was in London studying abroad and I was studying. Uh, like diaspora and people coming up to the UK and I was in a center for immigration and I was walking with a bunch of people and I was at the back of the line with one of my friends and a door kind of slammed in our face and there was a big poster on it that said could you have gonorrhea and we were both like I don't think I don't think so <laughs> that's like a that's like a really rude awakening moment of like what is going on is this like, like or, destiny or something fate like did someone slam this door in my face on purpose could I have- could I have gonorrhea? I was like, I don't think, I don't know. So I do not, I did not know, but, but that was funny. So anyway, glad I told that story. Thanks for making me tell that story first. Because <laughs> you started with, I remember, and we're talking about these heads. Anyways, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so in 1888, Rudolph asks one of his girlfriends, Mitzi Casper, to do murder, so, m- murder suicide with him. He's like, come on, it'll be romantic. And she's like, no. You know, I'm not doing that with you. Also in 1888, he meets another lady at court, Mary Vestera, who is 17. So Mary's 17, Rudolph is 30. And their affair is like very obvious. Like everyone knows. In the Omar Sharif movie, I couldn't watch the whole thing. I found like a clip of them doing the waltz on on YouTube, but like they're dancing and everybody's just like, ugh, like we fucking know these two are hooking up, you know, like annoyed. There's also in, in one of the palaces in Vienna, there's a staircase, a staircase that leads up to Rudolph's bedroom. It's called the Vestera staircase because she used to sneak up that staircase to see him. Sometimes she would sneak up wearing only a fur coat with nothing underneath, which is very scandalous for the time. Mary herself was a baroness. So Baroness Marie Alexandrine von Vestra was born in 1871 on March 19th. Her mother was a pill and wanted her to be rich. So she's like, I have these daughters. The only reason I have these daughters is that they will marry well and give me like the money and power that I want. So this was not Mary's first rodeo. Like She's 17, but she's like been in these affairs with, with older rich people for a while. Her mom's been trying to like get someone to marry her. She was 
I thought this was like really funny that she had to go, she went to school in a convent called the Institute for Daughters of the Nobility. Like That's, imagine that, what you learn there. Yeah, no kidding. In breeding. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So her mom was actively helping with this affair between Mary and Rudolph. Like everybody, everybody knew there were other people actively helping as well. So here's what happened. Here's the Meyerling incident. On January 29th, 1889, so they haven't even been together a year. They've known each other for a few months. Rudolph excuses himself from a dinner with his family, and he heads to Meyerling, which is a hunting lodge outside of Vienna. Hunting lodge in that, like, it's a palace. Yeah, like, it's makes huge. sense. You know, it, I watched... It's like a Murdoch thing where the hunting lodge was, like, 6,000 square feet. Exactly, exactly. I watched... There was a show called Versailles that I watched a couple of, and there's one where, like, the king is like, I'm going to go to Versailles, and his brother's like, ugh, dad's hunting lodge? You know. Like you do. Well, um, one day we're going to have that life, Taylor. <laughs> so he heads to Meyerling with Mary. On January 30th, the next morning, Rudolph's valet, Loshek, goes to wake him up and the door is locked. He can't get it open. He ends up using a hammer and like putting his hand through and unlocking it from the inside and opening the door. When he gets in there, Mary's body is laying on the bed. She's probably naked. She only brought one outfit, probably naked or wearing like her underclothes. And uh, she had been shot in the head and there was like blood everywhere. And she was pretty far into rigor mortis. Rudolph's body was leaning over the bed with a bullet in, in his head and there was a mirror next to him so he might have been trying to do a thing like that they had someone else had done recently where it, you like use a mirror to shoot yourself like kind of like see so you can see the back of your head or whatever he might have been trying that there was also like blood coming out of his mouth and his skull was shattered so she was in like I said she had been dead before him there is a there's a lot of speculation about what happened, and that's kind of going to be what the thing that happens after this. But they, the, the, in Twilight of the Empire, the book that I read, it, it sounds like Mary was sitting up holding a handkerchief, so possibly crying on the edge of the bed when she was shot in the back of the head and then fell over. So he might have just like impulsively shot her in the head. With the bodies, there were some, sui some suicide letters. There were a couple of them. More were actually found in 2015. They'd been put into a safety deposit box in 1926 by a relative, and they weren't found until 2015, which is cool. And those, th there were letters like from Mary to her mother, and they said things like, I will be much happier in death because I can be with him. We cannot be together in life. We'll be together in death. And Wait, so what's the suicide? Rudolph, Rudolph shot himself. And then the bullet went through her head? No, no, no. He oh. killed her hours before he killed himself did she want to die probably but probably in like a state of like, let's go to die to be together yeah like if she if it, if it would have been like hey baby just think about this then she probably wouldn't have you know but it was like a very like emotionally heightened experience for everyone that they were in because can you know because because she was more advanced like rigor mortis than he was they know that she died a lot a lot earlier than he did so he shot her and then like stared her body for several hours um there's probably a point of no return for him also because now he's a murderer you know not that they couldn't have hidden hid that somehow but he's just like kind of going crazy in this room by himself but we'll talk more about like what might have happened in the room in, in a little bit so nobody knows what to do because this guy's the heir to the throne. He's definitely dead. Everyone's kind of like trying to figure out how they tell the emperor. And initially they, they're like, oh, she must have poisoned him and then killed herself because they can't imagine that he would do it. So they use that story when they tell the emperor and empress. Mary's poor mother, even though she was trying to tell off her daughter, you know, technically, she can't find her daughter. And she's like been looking for her all over town. She finally goes to the palace and asks the emperor and the empress tells her that her daughter is dead in like a very cold, a cold way to let her know. They said... 
that he died of a heart attack. They said that he died of like of it's like a sickness. The, the official story from the emperor and empress changes several times in the first day or two because they're not sure what to do. Um, eventually, they do say that he died by suicide, and because it's just hard to ignore. Poor Mary. This is crazy. So Mary's body, they take it and they throw it in a closet and put clothes on top of it and just kind of hide it for now because they don't know what to do. Her uncles, her mom's brothers, come and get her, come and get her body. The people in the palace are like, in in Myerling, the lodge, are like, you have to pretend she's still alive. Like, you have to pretend that she's still alive when you're taking her out of here so that no one sees you leaving with a dead body. That would be too suspicious. So they make them wash her body, get her dressed. She had like an ice skating outfit, which is like, who knows what that means, but like just like a, a, a pretty simple dress and like a jacket. They put that on her body and they try to carry her out, but her head keeps falling down and her body keeps slumping because she's dead. So they stick a broomstick up her shirt, not up her body, but like up her shirt and kind of like tie her head to it and have to carry her out that way. Was role. this the inspiration for Weekend at Bernie's? <laughs> God, I don't think so. It, it could have been. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. So they bring her to a church in Heiligenkreuz, which is near nearby. They don't want to bury her because it's a suicide. Everything's Everyone's very Catholic. They don't want to bury her, but the uncle has convinced them to let, let her be buried there in a simple pine box because she was in like a state of mental distress when she died. And also, I don't believe that she killed herself. I think he killed her, you know? Later, her mother exhumed her body and buried her in like a nicer cemetery. During World War II, that cemetery was destroyed by the Soviets and they bashed all the bodies when they robbed them. So they like robbed her grave and like just smashed her bones. Then her bones were were reburied. In the 50s, they exhumed her again to look for a bullet wound in her skull because like people were kind of like, maybe she wasn't shot, even though she definitely was. And you can't, you couldn't tell anymore because the bones had been crushed. You know, Where like, was she? Was she shot in the back of the head? Yeah. Then why would they think it's a who could do that to themselves? I know they're just trying to like make sense of what just happened. You know. Yeah, they're trying yeah. to protect the the heir. Yeah, and so in the nineties, a man. 1990s a man was obsessed with the Meyerling incident he tricked the cemetery into giving them her her, her remains so he could study them so he took them again and he ended up getting arrested and giving them back but like poor mary's body was just like treated like garbage that's, that's the moment I mean, at this point we, one of us could have part of her skull but it sounds like yeah you're really easy easy breezy with it yeah she also just like after that after this people didn't start talking about mary until later when people started talking about the demise of the empire so she was just like disappeared like she used to be like in society papers and people were friends and then one day she was gone people just like stopped talking about her because they were trying to hide what had happened rudolph's body was taken and they had to reconstruct his skull for a state burial there's pictures of it he has like a big bandage over his head because his skull was like destroyed and um they had to get special permission from the pope to bury him with his family like not just like the church but like the actual pope had to be like it was okay and they got that permission because they said that he was insane when he had died by suicide which was he shot in the back of the head too no okay he shot himself I was saying, in the okay i was gonna say there's some questions that don't sound like they were being asked but it sounds like maybe they were <laughs> yeah yeah no he was definitely he definitely shot himself in the face he was probably bipolar it sounds like so he was like you know super high high super low lows and he was probably in like a high high of being excited about this idea of like going to to death with his lover and at the same time like also being like super low and like suicidal so he definitely had a lot like going on people 
didn't want this to be the case. Like they didn't want it to be a murder suicide because it's so awful and like confusing and it like destroyed the line and all these things. There's a couple conspiracies and, and things that people think might have happened. So some people, and this is what they've been like kind of speculating on for like hundreds of years. They think that maybe it was a, a political conspiracy and Rudolf was most likely talking to the Hungarian side of the empire more than he should have been and about to like go against his father in some ways. So he was like also involved in like those shenanigans. So like someone could have killed him for that. Other theories were like, maybe it was an accident. Like maybe he was just like playing with his gun and shot her. Cause like that happens in America right now. So don't give me that face as far as that happens all the time. But I mean, like, like no, okay, so it happens with like kids or with like drunk hillbillies when you're like with your lover in like this regal like you're not just like hey let's play let's play catch with the with the revolver that's fair also but he was definitely drunk oh okay well you know okay again details yeah okay <laughs> that helps. i'm sorry i forgot to tell you they were drunk this whole time and the the so the now, now it's sounding like an alabama story i get it now yeah so people were like well maybe the gun discharged and then shot them both at the same time like went through him and then hit her that's crazy that could never happen i guess like well whatever i'm saying that no no some people said that when they saw him he had glass in his skull so they said that she had smashed him over the head with the champagne bottle in a rage and then killed herself which doesn't make sense obviously because we know she died hours before him so he definitely she definitely died first another theory that people thought for a long time was that maybe she had a abortion and died from complications of that but like a complication of abortion is not getting shot in the head yeah that's not yeah. how that works so what it probably is and what yeah, i've been saying it all the time like it's fun because of the conspiracies but what it is is a murder suicide he was in an unhappy marriage he wanted to do something dramatic and she was just very very vulnerable she's 17 years old like this prince is telling you that he loves you that he can't live without you you know all the things so maybe they got into some sort of argument when they were in the room together maybe she was pregnant and he was like well great i also have i have another this is my 31st illegitimate child like fuck you and i'm not gonna marry you still you know and, and they were fighting and maybe like that was a thing maybe he went there to break up with her and like she like wouldn't take it and she like wouldn't accept it so he shot her and then was so upset and worried and, and all of that that he ended up shooting himself he was never gonna get divorced he was never gonna gonna marry her it's only really a mystery because people want it to be you know because you don't know what happened in that room and that is so fascinating that you're like what causes these two people to have him shoot her and then wait for so long by himself like some people said the room was covered in blood some people said the room was covered in like smashed glass and it was like disarray so for like hours he's what drinking and throwing glass around and the door is locked and everyone else is asleep and no one knows he's doing this and then he you know then he dies so it's i think the, the mystery of what actually happened i don't think is very mysterious like he killed her and then himself but I think that the mystery of like the why will never be answered and like what it was like in those like last minutes of her life and then like the last hours of his where he's there by himself you know yeah, our, our stories are going to be so similar they always are yeah again we don't coordinate any of this i have no idea what taylor's <laughs> going to talk about she has no idea what i'm going to talk about we just hop on and just go with it but like we have a lot of through lines on the, the these two stories oh it's so crazy Crazy. So after this, Rudolph's uncle was supposed to be the next in line, but he didn't want to be. So his son, Franz Ferdinand, became the next in line. Franz Ferdinand was not the emperor when he was assassinated. He was just the heir to the emperor. But um, as we know, that started off off World War One. I. I mean, one of the YouTube videos I watched, they were like, 
we can't say that if this hadn't happened that there would not have been a World War I, but they do feel comfortable saying that Rudolph would not have been where Franz Ferdinand was when he was shot. He wouldn't have been that involved in politics the way Franz Ferdinand was. It might have been. It might have been different. Rudolph's wife, Elizabeth, was kind of shunned by the family. Everyone was like really mad at her. She went off and like ended up, they lived their life in a different part of Europe. And she was involved in just like, she's she's buried in the family, in the family plot. His daughter, Elizabeth, she married the Archduke Franz Salvatore of Austria, Tuscany. They had 10, 10 children. So some of their children didn't die until like the late 1970s. So some of Rudolph's grandchildren wow. lived until the 70s, which is, is wild. Because it's, like I said, like it's just this, that time is such a, I think like a, a marker between like modern and like what we think of like as like history, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's it. So it's, it, it's a tragic, not love story because they were, like they were barely together, you know, it's not like a love story, but it's like a, a thing that happened that changed history for a lot of people. So what's the red flag? Um, I think that he was married and had raging, SCDs and had 30 illegitimate children and that her mom was trying to essentially sell her to him. Okay, so you're saying that if somebody's married and has 30 illegitimate children, mm -hmm. maybe like look the other way. Mm -hmm. if, someone, if you're dating someone and they're pre-ordering a goodbye gift when they break up with you, then that's, that's a red flag. If you open a closet in your boyfriend's house and it's just 50 candelabras saying Thanks for the good times. Just dip <laughs> immediately. It's not exactly. going to end well. He's, one of them has your name engraved in it. And then you're like, oh no, I'm about to get broken up. <laughs> that, that, that is a good idea. That is like, I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but I'm not, not going to do that. If you, if you break up with FARS, you get it cigars and jars with FARS. Yes. Instead of, yes. Instead of a, cigarette, a cigarette case. Yes. You get a jar of cigars <laughs> that I source from China. Yeah, well, my friend George suggested this. So thanks, George, because it was cool to listen to. And the book that the book I read, The Twilight of an Empire, was really, really good. Um, I recommend it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we will transition over to the true crime side of the story. And like I said, I'm going to be partially in Miami, but that's not like the end all be all of where this all this originated. It's just where this culminated in the way that it's most famously remembered. Taylor, have you ever been to Miami? Yes. What did you think? It was fine. It was humid. I think I went a leaving spot from for a cruise. What's it called? It was like a port. I, I did like a Caribbean cruise. Yeah. So I think we we drove down to Florida because my friend Lonnie's we're giving her mom's car to her uncle. So we like drove the car to the uncle in Miami, and then and then we flew home after the cruise. Nice, nice. Yeah, Port of Miami. That's where all like basically every major cruise line has a port there. Yep. It's very very cool. You can drive by on um, the causeway and see all the ships docking. So yeah, that's cool. Like I mentioned, I lived in Miami and I'll be honest, I have like a weird love hate relationship with it because on the one hand, I think that if you're out for a carefree weekend, it's probably one of the best seasons in the world to be in. Just do whatever you want. Nobody cares. If money flows easy, do your thing. On the other hand, which was my case, I was a broke college student. I didn't have any money. And then when you see all this opulent display of wealth all around you, you're just like, man, I'm a loser. <laughs> no way to compete against these people rolling around in Lamborghinis. Um, so um, I, I remember that picture that's on your Facebook from like 20 years ago where you're in front of the Lamborghini. Yeah. You're wearing like a pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was my, yeah, that was Miami. And one thing that I remember thinking to myself was that I remember going to work at like eight o'clock in the morning on like the weekdays and you'd see like most beautiful people from all around the world just rollerblading around the ocean. And you're just like, mm -hmm. what? Am I doing my, what am I doing here? Ugh. 
totally. That's funny. And, really, and like the conclusion I reached was like, this is not a place that you come to build yourself up. This is a place you come to after you build yourself up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is a lesson that the main antagonist of this story did not learn. He went to Miami and he made a name for himself there. So any guesses who I might be talking about? The only thing that I, I don't know the name, but are you, is it the guy who killed Versace? Andrew Cannon. Is that it? Yeah. 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 You, yeah. Okay. You, you got me at, at, he came to Miami with nothing and tried to build himself up there. Cause that's what I remember from the American crime story. Yeah. Which I'm going to discuss at length here. So today I'm covering Andrew, C C Andrew Cunanan. I'm just going to call him Andrew because that's kind of tough. Uh, who basically is like a very, very emotionally disturbing individual who did a lot of really, really terrible things and the world is better for him being dead. So I'm going to start with that. Per usual with the people that are stuck. Per usual. There's no love lost in these stories for you. Keep going. No, not at all. Andrew has been done to death by this point, and I totally get that. But one of the things that I wanted to like focus on in this story was mostly Andrew himself because really what mm -hmm. everybody thinks of is Johnny Versace. Right. And the Netflix. Okay. So for example, you just mentioned it. There's an amazing Netflix. What's his name? The guy's name, Darren Chris plays Andrew yeah. Cannon. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. It is so well made. It's so well done. But even that, do you remember what it was called Taylor? Was it, it's not, it's not American crime story. So it's called, that is part of the title. Yes. Oh, I don't remember the rest of it. It's called the assassination of Johnny Versace colon American crime story. Okay. Cool. So it's all focused around Versace and like less so around all the other stuff that was going on with him, although they do mm -hmm. cover the murders that happened. But really, it's a question like, who is this guy and why did he do the things that he did? Yeah. So that's what I wanted to kind of fall into. And one of, one of the places I started, I actually went through a pretty in-depth research on the Department of Justice and the FBI's websites on classifications of serial killers versus free killers because mm -hmm. Andrew falls into this weird, unique cross-section of true crime monsters because he's both, like he's kind of both. And mm -hmm. a lot of sources, like the majority of sources, like I would say like 60% to 40% call him a spree killer, whereas 40% call him a serial killer. He would have cooling off periods and then you have periods of just rapid succession killing of, of a bunch of people. Which so, is the spree, right? That's, that's so. the spree. The but if you have several off, sprees, what are you? He didn't. He had a spree, a cool off, and then one murder. Okay. So so he fits the definition of both. So for example, he killed five people over the span of three months in total. Wow. Six days separate murder one and murder two. One day separates murder two and number three. Five separate three and murder four, and nearly two months separate four and five. So random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I'll get to like the, the the four and five one because it was like he was just living his life. He was doing his thing in Miami, like he was having a groovy time. Like, and it was like, what happened? Like, what was the impetus? And nobody knows. And we're gonna make some conjecture here, but nobody's really sure. The other thing I kind of dived into on this on the FBI's website had to do with he didn't really have the same traits as a killer as a Bundy or a Gacy or a Dahmer, where there was like a mm -hmm. sexual impulse behind the killing. He would kill out of opportunity and impulse. So mm -hmm. when we talk about serial killers, for example, we talk about product versus process killers. Andrew was neither. He didn't love to kill, which is the process part of a process killer. 
Nor did he kill to collect a body to do whatever they're going to do with, which is the product side of a serial killer that we're most familiar with. That's one distinction on the serial killer side. It actually goes further, and this is where the Department of Justice kicks in, around the classifications that go beyond just product and process, which is there's four other categories. There's visionary, mission-oriented, hedonistic, and power control-oriented. As you learn more about Andrew's psyche, power control seems like the classification that makes the most sense when trying to understand what his motivations were. Do you have examples of other ones? So visionary is for, no, visionary actually, mission oriented is one I have the best example of, which is like, I'm doing this because God told me to do this. So anytime like someone kills a bunch of prostitutes, it's like, you were sinful. So I had to do this for Jesus. Like that's like the most common one. Mm-hmm. I want to say visionary was um, was John Liss, where he just thought that this was the best thing for his family to kill mm-hmm. all of them at once. Mm-hmm. Hedonistic is is like you just like it, <laughs> you just want to do it because <laughs> yeah. it's just awesome. So the the power control piece is the one that fits the bill with Andrew the most, and that was basically getting pleasure out of exerting control over a helpless victim, which he did to one guy really really badly, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like where we kind of wrap up part of like his his psyche. Going a little bit further than that, I'm just going to come out and just be a total contrarian and say Andrew was just a total prick. I'm just going to start with it right there. They always are. He, okay, this is going to be a little, I'm going to get some backlash on this. He reminds me of like every Iranian I grew up with who was just obsessed with like looking amazing and like how they present themselves in the world. Like you need to know I'm better than you. If you don't know that I'm better than you, then what am I doing? Like, Mm -hmm. that's exactly the vibe I get off this guy. Mm -hmm. It has been said that he's a narcissist, but he Mm -hmm. that was never a clinical diagnosis. And, you know, obviously he's dead. So we're never going to actually know what that whether that was true or not. Mm -hmm. It was also said that he had a strong desire to be the center of attention. Chris Darren actually portrayed him exactly as I read about him, which was just Mm -hmm. the guys dressed the nine and talk about how amazing his life is. I wrote down that if he was alive right now, he would be an Instagram influencer who'd be buying followers from overseas click farms. Like, that's the guy we're talking about. He sounds like an incel, like Andrew Tate, you know, like someone who's like. He's he's gay and he got a lot of play. Fine. Yeah. But he, 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 he can be incel vibes, but that's fine, too. It's it's not that. It's a need to belong. It's a need to be the biggest, greatest, flashiest star out there. That's mm-hmm. where that's where this is right from. And incels, like, just to shut-in right like, like nerdy shut-ins who can't yeah. get out and hang with people like that's not what this is this this, this guy actually got was a little bit too out there hanging out with people because <laughs> he actually well learn later he legitimately met johnny versace like organically right. like he was in that crowd to where he could do stuff like that so like i literally just mentioned andrew came out as gay in high school which obviously you know good for him that couldn't have been easy back when this would have been like the late 1980s and this was obviously not an easy choice because his mom and him got into a really, really serious fight. It got physical. Andrew basically assaulted her at one point. God. And he ended up moving out. Like he left his family home and moved out and settled in San Francisco in, in the Castro district. I alluded to this just now, which he had a knack for befriending wealthy older gay men, which I'm going to go with like red flag number one for the older gay men, because it was never to their benefit that he was friends with them, really. Andrew Wood's basically using these men and leveraging their wealth to live up to his own self-image of himself, which again, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen the Versace story on Netflix, Chris Darren or Darren Chris plays this guy incredibly well. And that was basically the same. Make friends with whoever had the resources and use them up and then ditch them and move on to the next guy. In 1990, 
many, 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 many years before what ends up happening ends up happening. Andrew actually does meet Johnny Versace, which I'm going to do a little bit of a dive into like who he was. I know he's been done to death, but what the hell, we're, we're here already. Versace was a fashion designer who created the luxury brand Versace in 1978. It became a brand for celebrities because it was like a red carpet thing. Do you remember JLo's green dress? Yeah. Okay, so that was Versace. Mm -hmm. The first big one of these was Elizabeth Hurley wearing like some like really sexy black dress at the Academy mm -hmm. Awards. And that was, so it just kind of, popped off with celebrities. And when it pops off with celebrities, mm -hmm. it pops off with everybody who's trying to be a celebrity. Yeah. It expanded really quickly into 1500 stores. Eventually, long after Versace's Johnny's death, it was sold off to Michael, Michael Coors company, who is the current owner of the brand. So I wrote down here that like Johnny Versace, and if you've never seen a picture of this guy, go take, go take a gander because this guy was a, like, exactly everything Andrew was faking being. Yeah an uber successful incredibly wealthy world-renowned artist designer celebrity and he was gay mm -hmm. which like when you look at it from like your architect like how, what can i be in this world like that's who you want to be if you're if mm -hmm. you're someone like andrew it was I, I thought it was potentially part of the reason why it, what ends up happening ends up happening is because he was trying to basically destroy the thing that he could never achieve himself is what mm -hmm. i think personally yeah. in 1990 Again, seven years before all of this went down, apparently Versace was in San Francisco and met Andrew. Andrew would have been 21 years old this time. And in the Netflix series, this is not true. In the Netflix series, it's like super played up how they, they were like mm -hmm. playing cat and mouse and playing coy with each other. Like it was like a lover's thing. Like it, they went out to dinner in the movie. Like none of that happened. Like that's what Andrew told people happened, but the people who were actually there said that's not exactly what happened. Apparently it was, there was a split moment where they were passing each other Versace seemed to recognize him and asked if he knew him from a party at his Lake Como estate. And Andrew wow. said, thanks for remembering me. And then he was never he, there for sure. So, yeah, I was, I was like, dude, hey, if you, what is a Versace party like? Like how many drugs are being just passed I was around? Say, like, I just like, I don't know. I just can't imagine that much cocaine in one spot. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, okay, it's like, he probably, Versace's like, you just, just look like a generic guy. And it's like, oh, maybe I know you from this. Maybe he was hating on it. Who knows? But like, it, it definitely was, like, he definitely wasn't there. It could have just been like a random thing to like play out. Like, look, if I, if I had a late Como house, I would also be asking random girls if I recognize them from my late Como estate party. A hundred percent. I was going to say, on both sides, you'd be like, uh, yeah, it was there. Also be like, oh, hey, were you at that like wonderful, beautiful, lavish party that I have all the time? George Clooney was there. Remember him? He was I there. <laughs> That's it. We did every late Como party. Yeah, yeah. We always we do pranks because he's he's there with us all the time. So by early 1997, <laughs> Andrew had had a few on again off again relationships and had begun and had begun using meth and alcohol quite frequently. By this point, it was kind of becoming known in the San Francisco gay scene that Andrew was kind of a shithead. He had apparently maxed out credit cards for a couple of these wealthy guys and was basically just supporting himself in between other rich men by just selling drugs, basically. Mm -hmm. And he was just a grifter in general. At this time, we're going to introduce two men who become key figures at the start of Andrew's murder spree. One is David Madsen, who Andrew would later call the love of his life and who lived in Minneapolis. The other is Jeffrey Trail, who also lived in Minneapolis and had some involvement with Madsen that Andrew did not like. They're, they're obviously gay as well. They're in the same gay scene, basically. Right. Andrew flew to Minneapolis on April 24th to stay with Madsen and hang out with Trail at some point. 
it sounds like Trail really didn't want Andrew there. From the from everything I read about this, it seems like Andrew was one of those guys where like you had to be super stern when you set boundaries with them. Otherwise, they're just like habitual line steppers. Mm-hmm. Trail even told people that he really needed to have a serious conversation with Andrew and that Andrew kind of scared him. And part of the reason why Andrew scared him was because Trail was one of the people in the San Francisco gay scene that was telling everyone, this guy's a grifter. He's trying to steal your shit. Like that's all he's in for, the, in for yeah. this. And totally. News of that apparently got back to Andrew that that Trail had done this. Andrew had grown obsessed that Trail was also in a relationship with Madsen, who, like I mentioned, he called the love of his life. And this freaked Trail out because Andrew's a meth-addicted alcoholic at this point. So, yeah. not great. On April 26th, so two days after he's in Minneapolis, he's been staying at Madsen's house, Andrew tells Trail to come to Madsen's apartment because on an earlier visit that Andrew had gone to Trail's house for, he had stolen his gun and he wants to give it back to Trail. Red flag number two. That is like, a, okay, I know you know that I don't like guns. That's like another reason not to have a gun is like someone could steal your gun and no one's going to hand you back your stolen gun. Okay, okay. Yeah, Taylor. Like that, so exactly. So like that, that's why I put red flag number two. If your gun is ever stolen, the only way to deal with that is to call the police and tell them the serial number of that gun. And if you know where yeah. it is, tell them they go get it. You don't go get yeah. it. You don't go get it. No, 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 no. You don't so, meet that guy in a parking lot to have him give it back to you. No. No, it's like, like what, what's the logical, <laughs> like, why would you steal? It's like you stole it for a good reason. Nobody steals a gun for a good reason. They steal it to wipe the serial numbers off and to go kill a homeless man. Like, that's all you do with a stolen gun. Trail goes to this apartment and... As we see in the Netflix show, very accurately portrayed, Andrew beats him to death with a hammer in front of Madsen. This was an impulse thing. This was not like a calculated, deliberate serial killer. This was like, he just pissed him off and just like he grabbed the first thing in front of him, just bashed his skull in. And Madsen was there to see the whole thing, much to his bad luck. I think at this point, my take on this and Netflix's take on this was that Madsen was basically scared shitless. He was like, I don't know what to do. This guy's unhinged. Like, this guy's out of his mind. He's he's drunk as shit. He's high as fuck. Like, I don't know what mm-hmm. to do. He just killed the guy with a hammer from my house. And he helped him roll Trail's body up in a rug that they then put behind their so- the sofa. So that's, I feel like, when you were, like, in the past episodes, you've been like, would you help someone hide a body, you know? But I feel like this is the case where I'd be, like, so scared of this person that I just saw kill someone. I wouldn't be, like excuse me, I'm going to call the police. You know, I feel like there's definitely a chance I'd be like, cool, 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 cool. Let's hold this fine. body. You know, like you don't, you don't want to die, so. Hey, I'm in this with you, man. I'm in this with you. We're, we're going to be yeah, fine. Yeah. Let, let, let's roll the yeah. body up together. Let's chop it up. You want to chop it up? We can chop it up. I got, I got a hacksaw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You do not want to confront a guy in your house and in this state. No. Madsen stopped going to work because he just witnessed a man get beat to death in his kitchen with a hammer. So that raised some alarm bells. And a coworker decided to go to Madsen's house and check on him. And at which point he finds Trell's body. At that point, Andrew and Madsen already hit the road. And they had taken Madsen's Jeep to flee the scene, essentially. So for several days, police try to find the two of them. And basically, there's a bunch of leads coming in. People saw them here. They had dinner at this place, whatever. They, they would see them all over the place. They, they didn't catch them completely because on May 3rd, Madsen's body was found near Rush City, which is about an hour north of Minneapolis. Andrew had shot him with a gun he stole from a trail and threw his, thrown his body out of the car. So that's rule number two, which like, okay, there's no cell phones. Like maybe when, when you're at a diner, you just run away. I don't know. I don't know what you do. 
Can we blame that guy? I mean, we all we already like, like we know about it. So like something happened. Yeah. Yeah. The same day that police find Madsen's body, Andrew arrives in Chicago in the now stolen Jeep. And Ooh. he arrives at the home of Lee Milan, Milan, I think. M-I-G-L-I-N. Okay. Lee's a really curious one. Again, there's some conflict here between what Netflix says and what people think. But basically, Lee was a super rich real estate tycoon. He had a net worth of $50 million at the time that he died. Whoa. And again, Lee was like a 72-year-old married, married man of 40 years with two kids. Nobody knows why Andrew went to this guy's house. There's no evidence of why he would have pinpointed this house to actually drive to and knock on the door. There was no forced entry. There was none of that. Lee's family finds it really, really insulting that people suggest they knew each other because the assumption is that Lee was living a secret life, doing gay things on the side of being mm -hmm. like this real estate tycoon executive. Netflix made the editorial decision that they for sure had a relationship. They had a relationship. That's the reason why Andrew knocked on that guy's door that night. The one indication that this wasn't kind of like a run-of-the-mill murder for Andrew was the way he killed him. So again, you have a beating to death with a hammer. You have a shot to death in the back of the head. Mm -hmm. In this case, he tied up Lee's legs and arms and his body was wrapped in tape and plastic. His ribs had been completely broken and he'd been oh stabbed either 40 or 20 times, depending on the source that you look at, in his chest. Ultimately, he was killed because Andrew took a hacksaw to his throat, like almost decapitating him. Oh, you didn't know him? So th that's the thing. It's like, why would you do something that insane to a total stranger? It's a, That's why people are like, we think he knows him, but we're not sure. There were some some stories that were told where Andrew had told people that he had he knew a rich family in Chicago whose uh, kid was named Duke, and Lee has a kid named Duke. And so okay. people were like, how would they have even mixed? And the family themselves, like, the, the only way they could have mixed would have been a gay bond, a gay relationship. And that's, yeah. and to them, they're like, of course that's not the case. Our dad was like, you know, married to my mom. And like, who knows? Who's How would he have met? Like, did, yeah, that's just, that's so weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know. This makes sense. Okay. So Andrew ditches the Jeep, uh, Madsen's Jeep, outside of, outside of Lee's house and steals his Lexus. And at this point, uh, Andrew gets put on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. So six days later, Andrew would shoot a guy named William Reese. He managed a cemetery. He just went up to him and shot him in the back of the head. And he stole the, the, the stolen Jeep was found outside of Lee's house. So he needed another car. He ended up stealing uh, William Reese's vehicle, some red Chevy truck or something. This was on May 9th that he did this. So he only killed him for the truck. There was no connection. There was no, there was no stealing of money or anything like that. It was just for the truck. Using Reese's vehicle, Andrew drove to Miami, Florida and rented a hotel room. He basically just lived in Miami for about two months. Out in the open, despite being on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. Again, it's my, Miami's a great place to escape. Everybody's running away from something. Everybody's That's a true. No one, no one really gives a shit. Yeah. In 1992, Johnny Versace had purchased a mansion called Casa Casuarina. I think I nailed that. Mm -hmm. It is now more commonly known as the Versace Mansion. It is located on the main drag of South Beach, which is called Ocean Drive. 
only because I knew you would ask this, Taylor, I did Zillow it. Oh, you did? And it's expensive. So the current estimated value is $36 million. What was that? Wait, what's the address again? The, the, yep, wrote that down too. It's 1116 Ocean Drive. Okay, Bammy Beach, right? Yep. So I do want to tell you that when I was looking this up, did you are you going to get to the fact that two men were murdered in a murder-suicide there in 2021? What? No. I missed, I just, I just linked to, I found a, Van, a Vanity Fair article called Two Men Found Dead in the Versace Mansion. Um, it said police are still investigating. This was from July 15th, 2021. But it was a day ahead of the, of the 25th anniversary, or the 24th anniversary of Versace's murder. There were two men... 31-year-old Adam Rashup of Randolph, New Jersey, and 30-year-old Alexander Gross of York, Pennsylvania, were found dead by gunshot wounds. So I don't know if it was is it a potentially murder-suicide, potentially double-suicide. But I mean, a ghost in that house. Yeah, I mean, it's a million-dollar house. It is, it is. Look at the pictures of this thing. Like, I was trying to put it into ways that I could describe it. And really, the only way I could describe it is if you've ever seen, like, Versace's style of clothing that he designed – the house just looks like Versace's house. Exactly. Like, the only way you'd be like, oh, it looks like, oh, wow. It has like a big open courtyard in the middle. Yeah. Like your eyes don't even know where to look. There's gold trim. There's detailed tile mosaics. If you look at the pool, that's called the million mosaic pool because there's literally a million tiles being used to create the mosaic. There's columns, statues, pools. It's just opulent in a way that would be super distasteful if anybody, anybody but a fashion designer lived there. It'll be to say Wow. Story. It's a lot. So I'm going to start with red flag number three. And red flag number three is the mansion itself. I've never been inside the mansion when I was living in Miami, but it's almost impossible to be in Miami and not drive or walk by it. Mm-hmm. Ocean Drive, the street that it's on, is where all the restaurants and bars of South Beach are on and a lot of the clubs. It is the street closest to the most beautiful white sand beaches Florida has to offer. To drive the point home of how publicly located this how this mansion is, if you street view the address, again, 116 Ocean Drive, you won't see the house. Do you know why you won't see the house, Taylor? Because of a fence? Because there is a giant Miami tour bus stopped in <laughs> bumper-to-bumper traffic blocking the Google Maps car from taking a picture of the house. That's how packed this thing is, and that's how not private this thing was. Someone listed... They initially listed the house for sale for $125 million when the first and ended up selling for $41 million. So they really overestimated the amount of money that they're putting for sale for this house. It also is, I love also a thing about Zillow that I love is they do the rent zestimate. The rent zestimate is $196,000 a month. <laughs> Sounds about right. So right now, Taylor, it's actually a hotel and the, and it is, um, it got converted into a hotel. So it, had, it has a really rich history. If you look at the house, the house was created by an heir to the uh, Standard Oil fortune and then transitioned into a hotel. Then Versace bought it and converted it back to a house. Then it went back to a hotel. Then it got conveyed again at $41 million, which is what you're reading there. Oh, and so it's the Villa Casa Casarina now? Yeah, I think they're trying to... Everybody knows the history. They don't need to rub it in with like calling it the Versace mansion, you know? We should but it's stay not... there and then also at, the, at Lizzie Borden's house. So, like, I was actually kind of surprised. Like, okay, $900 a night is a lot, but it's on a Friday, Saturday in Miami, directly across. Like, 
that's as much as a fountain blue in Miami would be. And you're staying in like the most pristine property in the city. So I don't know. I don't know. Price wise, I thought it was like actually fairly reasonable for what it was. Going back to the red flag. So what I'm saying is that if you are a certain social class, that the entire world wishes they were a part of just be a little bit more elusive than literally having the most obvious home in the world and in, in the most public place in the world. Yeah. So I get it. So for some reason that nobody can really make sense of, on July 15th, 1997, Versace walks from his front door to a newsstand, and on his way back at 8.45 a.m., he is very, very publicly shot in the head by Andrew at the entrance of his house. Again, no clue why that was the day, that was the time, that was, again, he was living his life in Miami, like, doing his thing. That's why I don't get up before nine. I hate the mornings. That's a good point. They're dangerous. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Yeah. What's weird is that every other murder, he tries to evade things, right? Like he steals the car, he goes to a different city, he does whatever. And he, like I say, just mostly living a normal life in Miami. So like, why this guy? Why at this time? It's so elusive. Obviously, at this point, Versace died immediately. And the public, because it was so public, people gave chase to Andrew. Police were immediately in the area and a manhunt began. They called it the biggest manhunt in American history at that time. But we don't, I, mean, I don't know. I didn't go through and Google if that was accurate or not. The day after the murder, a boat owner at a marina nearby in South Beach called the police and said somebody had broken into a boat at, at the marina, like a next door boat or something. Police really didn't care. They didn't really show up. They didn't really think that much of it. It wasn't until a week later, so on July 23rd, when a houseboat sitter, so basically people who check on boats when the owners aren't using them, mm-hmm. visited a boat and found the door was open and it looked like somebody had been living there. Though the caretaker at that point knew that the actual owners of the houseboat hadn't been there since December of the previous year. So the caretaker then recalls hearing a gunshot from one of the rooms, leaves and calls the police. The police and the FBI descend on this thing. They start trying to talk to Andrew. They're like trying to convince him to come out. If I remember correctly, it said they like this was like a standoff that lasted eight hours. Andrew was already dead. Andrew Ugh. killed himself when they walked in. Like there's nobody to talk to. And they just were like not wanting to go inside and get blasted. So he shot himself in the head, obviously. But the question around, like, why he ended up choosing, okay, the first kill, pure rage impulse. Second kill, I got I to gotta get rid of the witness. Third kill, I need money. I need resources. I'm going to go to this guy's house. Fourth kill, I need a car. I'm going to steal his car. This one's the one where it's just like, I think it was literally just, he was just a loser who envied people that he could not be. And... Johnny Versace was the highest personification of like what he could never be. Yeah. Some That's people awful. thought it had to do with HIV status. So Johnny Versace, or well, he did have HIV, but that's not the relevant part. The relevant part is that people had mentioned that Andrew thought that he had HIV and mm-hmm. that he had said he's going to take out his revenge on older men who like do this to younger men. Mm-hmm. And th- there was like some thought he was autopsy he didn't have hiv but people were like no he thought he did like he never got tested but he thought he had hiv so like maybe that was a piece of this too i don't know that's like i mean that's like i don't know what you're saying before but you know people killing sex workers because they gave them an std and it's like there's two too involved in that tango my friend well yeah <laughs> n- not a, nothing about a psycho psyche actually follows logic one thing that i read you know it reminded me a lot of actually um uh, john lennon about mm-hmm. Mark David Chapman, because it was just like just another nothing, nobody loser who needs to take down somebody who's creating it in the world. Because that was something yeah. saying it's easier to 
what is that saying? Those who cannot build seek to destroy. Mm. And that's the only, one, the only one I really know is when in in the wedding planner when Jennifer Lopez says, "Those who can't wed, plan." <laughs> That is actually pretty <laughs> that's, that's my number one of those that I remember. Hey, two J Lo references in our <laughs> in our Andrew Cunanan episode. So, and then and then largely this ended up getting uh, forgotten because one of the attendees at Johnny's funeral died like less than a month after this happened. You know who that is? No. Princess Diana uh she went to the funeral no way yeah she went to the funeral and man the 90s like, were wild dude it was like a week or two after that's when she died i remember then, I, was, I was at my friend julie's house eating pizza and i was so sad i remember i yeah i remember too i was with my parents we, we did a, our little summer trip to vale or summer vale. oh my god so yeah yeah that was a wild month but because of that you know so much of this got like just it sunk like people stopped paying so much attention to us because then Princess Diana was a big story so yeah 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 that's our story around Andrew Cunanan what a tragedy that's just like that's just so like that your life can be taken away by like any random crazy person in like yeah. two seconds like you've done like you've didn't do anything like for that specific thing to happen to you it just happens because you're like in the right place or like if he hadn't like gone and gotten the paper you know or like hadn't hearts up past nine like you should you know yeah yeah it's just so many so many things that it could like little things that lead up to it and make that happen yeah Ugh, your life, an asshole yeah awesome life the coolest house the best every like and then some random idiot just can just shoot you in the head you're just like covered in gold and like i don't know man he was effortlessly cool. I will say, Johnny Versace, when you look at his pictures, you're like, damn. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a world-famous designer. Like, you can just... Yeah. He's got an air about him. I can't... Yeah. I mean, his sister's still alive, still doing Versace things. I guess even though you said Michael Kors bought it. So, she is still the creative director. Um, Donatella Versace is still the creative director. And the vast majority of Johnny's estate actually was bequeathed to his niece, Allegra Versace, who is Donatella's daughter. Oh. Yeah, it's estimated her net worth right now is about $800 million, and she's 36 years old. Nice. Yeah, every, well, when my sister had her baby, my brother, Kincaid, who is is gay and not going to have children, was like, now my estate is divided into three, because he's (laughs) dividing his estate amongst his nieces and nephews. (laughs) That's the dream. You got to have that some a rich person in your family leave you something if you look at the guy who played johnny versace it is like crazy it's real good yeah he nailed i mean you look at the side by side wow i see i found a picture of whoa i heard that dog she okay she upset that she's getting a sibling she doesn't know she's getting a sibling yet i haven't told her Uh uh-oh divide it's gonna divide up your estate my estate yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so many medusa head medallions oh yeah so many it's so it's so like black with gold on top of it is my picture of it it's just decadence opulence it's like just yeah well, donatella versace's husband's really cute yeah i would imagine she could attract <laughs> a fairly attractive person <laughs> there's something there's something to international <laughs> fame and super rich obscene wealth that weirdly draws people to you. I don't I don't I don't really get it. What is it? 
I don't know. What could it be? What is that mystery? Not mysterious, there's rich. So richer than you. That's our stories. Taylor, is there anything you want to sign off with? I know you have it's almost six and you have to go to a baseball game. Yeah, I'd be there at 545. I'd be there in two hours. It's in the Palm Springs. So yes, I do have to go because I have to get ready and find a baseball for the players to sign for the children. You know, like you I do. I forgot that we're not on the same time zone. Um, no, it's almost four, but still, I still do. I need to get ready. Yeah, no, I. If this is your first time listening, thank you. We have social media at Doom to Fell Pod on um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and we're also Doom to Fell Pod at gmail.com. If you have any feedback or suggestions, we're looking for historical true crime relationships with red flags, tragedies with red flags, things that could have been avoided, um, or just some crazy ass stories from from the past we'd love to hear it because i think like i said before there's so many cool stories there's so much we don't know there's so much that we can all learn from learn from the past and and share with each other so i'd love to tell more love it awesome thanks everyone thanks taylor thank you bye all